0: From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Pagheel, and this is the Times of India podcast.
1: About uh, 16 lakh uh, people who appear for NEET, which is a medical entrance exam, and about 8 lakh qualify. And the number of seats we have uh, for them is now we have about 90,800 seats, no matter what we do, even today, if you're going to all of a sudden, say, uh, double the number of seats, you're still going to have six lakh people who want to become doctors who have cleared meat and who are looking for some way to do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, doubling, quadrupling, that's not going to solve the problem. Uh, there will be this outflow of students who will go uh, looking for some other place where they can uh, do MBBS.
0: The plight of the thousands of Indian students stranded in Ukraine, a majority of them studying medicine, has now led to a tangential but much-needed debate on the state of medical education in India. Yesterday, March 6th, my colleague Rayma Nagarajan, whom you just heard, reported in the Sunday Times of India, that at least 80% of Indian families simply cannot afford to send their children to private medical colleges, while the competition for the more affordable government medical colleges is crushingly tough. In today's podcast, we look beyond the immediate crisis of the students stranded in Ukraine to the larger crisis of the state of medical education in the country. I speak to Rema Nagrajan and the Mumbai-based surgeon, Dr. Sanjay Nagral, who not only studied in a government college, but he also practiced for several years at the BMC-run KEM hospital before moving on to private practice, where he encountered several young doctors who have trained in East European countries, including Ukraine.
2: For the last five or six years, we have had uh, doctors who have trained from there who have worked, worked with me. And that's what gave me an insight into uh, uh, what sort of uh, training they give, they get there, and uh, also why why is it that they are traveling to such far away places where even the language is a challenge, and these are very uh, hostile, cold countries from the climate viewpoint. So uh, when I talked to some of these young students who came back, clearly I got a sense of why is it that uh, they're choosing to go there over the uh, Quite a quite a few medical colleges that are there in India right now.
0: Why do they go there?
2: The first choice for any student wanting to do medicine in, the, in India, and there are there are of course quite a few. It is something that is still uh, uh, very aspirational. People want to be a doctor in India, so the first choice is to. Uh, through the exams uh, get into a government medical college. However, the seats in these colleges are limited. Uh, the, the number of seats in government medical college over the years has not grown substantially. It has grown, but not, not grown in proportion to the, to the need and the demand. So therefore, uh, for the many students who cannot manage to get into the, the state colleges, what are the options? So uh, one option is, of course, to uh, seek entry into the parallel world of the private medical colleges in India. And that, that's a substantial number now. But but the issue there is, uh, there are there are really two issues. The first is that uh, many of the seats in these colleges are at extremely high fees. An MB based course, easily costs you 40, 50 lakhs. And this is how I'm talking about the colleges with the fees are regulated. If you go to the capitation side, so there are two types of seats here. So there are mm. some seats which can be bargained and sold and there they it could be uh, a crore of rupees. So basically the costs are very high. The second, of course, is that over the years, uh, uh, these, these colleges are known to have a very uh, ununiform ba- uh, method of training, standards are poor. Uh, there are there are a few uh, who have managed to now uh, uh sort of uh, become a reputed institution but the large majority uh, the the level of training is is quite poor you know it's interesting historically that uh eastern europe and the ex uh, soviet union uh, uh invested a large amount of money in healthcare that was a part of their social project and uh, they therefore created large numbers of uh medical colleges. Mm. Uh, And when they changed, uh, so for example, when the Soviet Union changed and sort of collapsed, and you had these new countries coming up, many of them uh, saw this opportunity of these big institutions, they had big campuses, they had uh, to sort of open them out to the global market for medical education. And and they soon realized that uh, India is probably a, a huge market. Uh, And they actually started offering courses, which are substantively cheaper uh, than the cost they would have to pay in a private medical college in India. Mm. But there is yet one more reason. And when I started interacting with these students, I realized that, that, you know, the the methodology uh, of the way the courses are organized in these countries they actually seem to be much more well structured, much more serious. I was surprised when students, uh, some of them would tell me that if we missed a lecture, our teachers would call us and offer to take an extra lecture on the weekend, so that they to ensure that we understood the problem and so on and so forth. Now, whether this is a part of their culture or whether this they were going overboard to sort of a point in terms of, you know, uh, their value in the market, whatever it is, but everybody uniformly said that we got good training, uh, very big hospitals uh, attached to these places. Now, of course, there would be place colleges there, where there would be some unevenness and but largely, the students I've seen all said that uh, uh, they had very good uh, exposure and training, great campuses. That's another thing some of them said that, you Mm. know, lovely big campuses and so on and so forth. There's of course, one one more reason, which is that some of these students did tell me that if you have done medicine from one of these Eastern European countries, you then have an open sort of one more pathway opens out to enter Europe with that degree.
0: Which may not be available to students from private medical colleges in India? Which is
2: not available directly to students from any medical college in India. Uh, because you have to uh, take exams, and these are also fairly competitive. So, some countries in in uh, in the Europe, for example, Germany, at one stage, would directly allow these students to uh, take up uh, further studies in those countries. Like everyone else, uh, I am also surprised at the sheer numbers, and yeah. uh, and especially in Ukraine. And uh, I, I think what the the war has done is, uh, I mean. It's, it's what has happened to the students, of course, is uh, is also very worrying, but uh, sort of exposed in a way sends the uh the shortcomings, the fault lines of medical education uh, in India. There are many other ways we have discovered this, but uh, I think coming immediately after COVID and I, I'm just making that connection that, you know, when we know that healthcare in India has been under constant challenge. Uh, I think for ordinary citizens now, uh, healthcare, uh, the way uh, medical students are trained, uh, the the their, their expertise, their uh, capacities, their the methodology, I think is something that we need to understand is directly impacts on our uh, our care and therefore our uh, uh, our daily lives. And it's also about the fact that uh, the, the students are investing so much both when they go abroad and in private medical colleges in India, I think that's another story that we need to understand that if you invest so much in your education, when you enter and you start the, your professional life uh, and your parents have taken loans, your you know, many of these parents have, you know, su- spend their whole life savings, how are they going to sustain, uh, what is it, what kind of pressures they will have to get back that investment, get back that money and there is of course, The whole world of private uh, medicine in India which uh, is sort of already has a superstructure which is very commercial and therefore uh, it sort of feeds into each other because you have this whole push towards uh, quick returns of investment in your education and you have a superstructure unregulated medicine then then things can go quite haywire and which is what we often
0: see. Everything that you've said so far especially about the way Uh, education, medical education is structured in some of these uh, former Soviet countries India when it began when it became independent was not that different the Grant Medical College has produced some of India's finest doctors uh, and that was also subsidized education can you talk a little bit about what was it like studying at the Grant Medical College the kind of training yeah. and why perhaps uh india needs more such uh, institutions
2: yeah so that's uh that's an important question so you're right historically uh india began with uh, state run medical colleges there were two types really uh, the two or three types one is the central government started these institutions like the all india institute there were state government colleges and as you said in Mumbai, the Mumbai Municipal Corporation runs college. Incidentally, I'm an alumnus of the uh, said Medical College, the KM ah, Hospital. Sir. Till the 80s, uh, there was really nothing like uh, private medical colleges. These were colleges, which where the fees were very low. Uh, it was the model of uh, public subsidy. Uh, what happened to those students is, is another uh, area of discussion. Uh, but certainly, The whole focus was on quality education. Many of them would continue to work in those, uh, work and teach in those uh, medical institutions. There was a pride in being involved and being a part of these institutions and still Mumbai, for example, these colleges uh, and their hospitals are are looked at as uh, fairly standard institutions. Mm. Uh, Along the way, uh, I think Two or three things happened. Number one, as I said, uh, the, the the demand was huge, uh, so therefore many students uh, uh, would not get entry into these colleges. Uh, secondly, of course, we must also acknowledge that the number of seats in these colleges were not expanded as much as they should have. Uh, and I think uh, Maharashtra is an interesting uh, uh, state. You know, for many years, actually, Maharashtra never had a Private medical college, it all started in the South. Um, But but, uh, I remember when I was an intern, and that's, uh, we're talking of the year 84, the first three colleges uh, started the private medical, and in fact, we led a big strike on that. Hmm. Uh, There was public sentiment was against privatization of medical education at that time. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we, we led a strike, the strike was about uh, the fact that we said no money in private medical education. Uh, it was a it was a long strike and uh, so one must also understand who are these people who started the medical colleges so it was actually in maharashtra by some coincidence, all sugar barons and i think there are two two things uh, two reasons they do it one is of course uh, money but also medical colleges are power centers you yes. can favor people uh, you you know it's it's a way to actually connect even with your constituency so uh, m- medicine in india is actually in in a sense a very uh, socially intertwined activity so if you own a medical college and as a list of uh, uh political uh, uh leaders all across the country own medical colleges it's also power and we ended up therefore with this scenario slowly and i think it also coincided with uh the liberalization of the economy So we said, well, why should education be uh, only in the public sector? Uh, why not open it out? So you had this whole floodgates opening, except to point out that in medical education is slightly different from let's say, you have a proliferation of uh, engineering colleges or proliferation of, because you know, medical colleges need hospitals, they need clinical material, Mm. they need solid training, after all, you're going to unleash these students on, on the population. So therefore, every country uh, looks at medical education a little differently. It's highly regulated uh, and often in the state sector. So we sort of, uh, uh, the floodgates opened and then of course it was, it is a monster now.
0: Today, our children, medical education, वहां लैंग्वेज भी प्रॉब्लम है फिर भी जा रहे हैं देश का अरबों खरबों रुपया बाहर जा रहा है क्या हमारे प्राइवेट सेक्टर बहुत बड़ी मात्रा में इस फील्ड में नहीं आ सकते क्या हमारी राज्य सरकारें इस प्रकार के काम के लिए जमीनों को देने में उम्दा नीतियां नहीं बना सकती हैं
2: this needs uh, a lot of thought. If you say private players, who are these private players? Uh, what are their motives? Uh, how do you regulate them? Because after all, as I've been saying, uh, you cannot have any sort of local, Tom, I mean, any, 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 anybody just starting a medical college. Uh, it's, it's, it's a huge investment in a training of a sector of a society, which is who is going to impact on your health, my health, Uh, Who is uh, who is going to uh, you know set partly be a part of the healthcare system and the standards. So this cannot just be left to uh, a a vague notion of uh, just a private sector, a creative way of uh, getting in money, but also but also uh, nothing stops governments from expanding government medical colleges. Uh, it is very much, uh, very much possible. The other challenge, of course, is how do you ensure that the students from these colleges serve, serve back society? That's that's a parallel challenge. But the more you privatize it, the mm. more it goes into the private sector, the lesser is the chance.
0: Dr. Nagral, if if you were on a government committee to look at reforms in medical education what would be the three or four things that you might suggest to the government?
2: So number one, uh, I think we need uh, a significant expansion of the uh, state uh, medical colleges and the number of seats. It's happening, but it's happening slowly. Number two, uh, we need to actually Think through as to what, who, whom we want as uh, our graduates, and there I think uh, we have seen some moments in, in in some some directions which are actually positive. So, for example, uh, we need to create uh, tiers of doctors. We need to have. We could have uh, doctors who get basic training. Uh, uh, we don't necessarily need. Uh, specialized doctors and we need to build in incentives for doctors with basic training, let's say a four-year course or a five-year course uh, whose training and who are incentivized to uh, work in the uh, government sector, especially in the rural areas. So for example, I personally feel that even short-term courses uh, are something that are necessary and can work well. Mm Many countries have, have done this, uh, we, our system currently is too much focus, focused on specialization. The other thing is to if, if since the private sector is now there and we can't wish it away, I think it's important to uh, regulate it very strictly. I think the problem is conflict of interest. Governments don't regulate them strictly because uh, actually, many of them have close links to governments. So uh, the conflicts of interest have to be identified, it has to be transparent uh, and uh, strict regulation of standards. I think there should be a a very low tolerance of lowering of standards in uh, medical education. We also have a large army of uh, doctors trained in the IU systems of medicine and I can tell you that a creative training and a creative uh, Sort of way of using their services. And COVID showed us that, by the way, Mm. that uh, the large number of Ayush doctors have worked in COVID uh, is also necessary because that's a huge workforce. And I think we need to utilize this workforce to strengthen our uh, public health care.
0: Rema Nagarajan, however, is of the view that the Ayush colleges require far more stringent regulation. And better faculty before students are integrated into the healthcare system.
1: Government is increasingly moving towards trying to equate Ayush and MBBS. Uh, this government. Uh, the problem with that is only one thing that Ayush uh, colleges are much less regulated. So, I mean, you don't need half the things that you require to open a medical college here. So, if you look at Ayush colleges, I mean, you just take a trip from, for example, from Delhi down to, uh, say, Lucknow, the the highway is dotted with Ayurveda colleges. Uh, Most of them uh, seem to be seem to look like, you know, abandoned houses uh i don't know where the faculty is where the teachers are uh what about the students uh who actually does these inspections do they actually have enough faculty teaching them they say that the curriculum is the same for the first two three years that they study the same things they study anatomy they study physiology so all those things are similar to what MVPS graduates have to do they just have added on Ayush syllabus too Uh, Plus, of course, I mean, they have the plea that uh, surgery, the father of surgery is uh, Sushruta. And so, you know, I mean, they should also be allowed to do surgery and things like that. All of this is fine, except that, you know, their training is extremely poor and the quality of training is extremely poor. But having said that, you know, I mean, many states, Maharashtra being an example, uh, you would have even corporate hospitals employing uh, Ayush guys in their uh, ICUs. You would think that, you know, the highest degree of care is provided in an ICU. But, you know, I mean, most of the doctors in corporate hospitals doing night shifts uh, in ICUs would be Irish doctors who have done probably a six month course, what they call a bridge course, and they have started working. They are not supposed to do it, uh, but most places uh, are doing it already. And uh, this government is definitely moving towards legalizing that. This video is for all my foreign medical graduate friends. Guys, your career is at stake now. Trust me, your career is at stake. All you foreign medical graduates must embrace in your mind is your graduation should be from the same university.
0: This is one of the several instructional videos explaining the changing guidelines for medical students coming back from universities abroad. Getting a degree in medicine is but the first step for Indian students. The next hurdle is the stringent test they have to take upon their return before they're given the license to practice. Reema Nagarajan says as many as 80% of those returning with a foreign medical degree fail this test. The catch is,
1: of course, that, you know, getting a degree is not good enough because you have to come back and clear the screening test that uh, India insists on. Mm, Which is also, you know, I mean, nothing surprising because all, I mean, all these developed countries have some sort of screening test uh, for which even Indian medical graduates have to appear for before they're allowed to practice in that country. Uh, Here, the difference is um, we have a screening test only for foreign graduates, not for our own graduates. Um, Whereas in the U.S., for example, USMLE is a screening test for all graduates, including U.S. medical graduates. So they need to clear that screening test to to be given a license to practice. What foreign medical graduates want is that we have a similar one where uh, the exit test is the same for Indian graduates as well as foreign graduates because they claim that the screening test is kept deliberately very difficult uh, so that not too many of them will pass. Because if a large number of them uh, were to clear the screening test, then that would lead to uh, even bigger exodus of, you know, uh students wanting to go abroad which is not something which private medical colleges here would be very happy about because that would hit their business
0: how difficult is the screening test
1: so the screening test supposedly is based on exactly the same curriculum that you know uh indian students study uh but this Foreign medical graduates have been insisting that, you know, one, that it is difficult, and uh, two, that, you know, I mean, to prove how difficult it is, they're saying, get the Indian medical graduates to appear for the same one and let's see their pass percentage. Um, That's something which the government has not agreed to so far, though in 2023, there is a proposal to have a uh, national exit test. Now, if that happens, then um, as uh, many senior doctors here say, you know you will know who actually is speaking the truth whether actually our graduates are as good or as as bad as the ones going abroad if that ha- so the general assumption is if that happens and you find that your graduates especially those coming from substandard private medical colleges in india and the ones who are going abroad to not so good universities or good universities or wherever, They score, I mean, they have the same uh, pass percentage for the screening test. Then many people might think it is not worth it to pay the huge amounts of money that they shell out going to these private medical colleges in India. And they would rather go abroad. So which means that private colleges here would have a tough time filling up their seats. Ever since screening test happened, which started in 2002. Uh, there's been a huge problem because the pass percentage of the screening test is extremely poor. Barely about 15 to maybe 20% uh, pass percentage. That means, you know, 80% of uh, the kids who are going abroad don't manage to pass the screening test. Uh, What
0: happens to them? Do
1: we know? There are several things that happen to them. There is one bunch who will leave the profession altogether. And uh, you know, go into things like taking a master's in hospital administration and things like that. So they will just treat this like a basic degree, and then do other—I uh, mean, try to get other qualifications in related like fields. Work. Yeah, yeah, in related fields. Uh, there's one bunch who get employment in um, allopathic hospitals, uh, getting paid much less. Uh, so a lot of private hospitals employ them because it's cheaper.
0: So it is a bit like hiring the Ayush doctors. You're
1: not supposed to, but you get them. Exactly. There is, again, a small section which decides to go back to those countries to practice in or try to get out of the country to other countries where they could practice. So that's one small bunch. There's another bunch which used to go on writing the screening test for years together. Uh, And then, you know, that would keep adding to the backlog. So if you look at the number of people taking the screening test, you would think, oh, my God, such a huge number of people are actually, uh, you know, going abroad. But actually, it's it's the backlog. But now they have restricted the number of times you can take the screening test to three. So three times you have not made it. That's it. You can't try anymore.
0: Over the years, where did we sort of miss the bus when it comes to medical education?
1: from 1980 onwards uh, till 2000, the government did nothing. Uh, And that was also the time towards the end of 80s is also when we saw a huge push to increase uh, the number of private medical colleges. Um, So, I mean, it's it's like in every situation that, you know, when you see the government vacating a space, the private sector moves in. Uh, That's exactly what happened towards the end of 80s and all through 90s, if you look at the number of colleges started in the 90s and uh, the government colleges Fantastic quality, fantastic standard, the few that we had, but we didn't keep up. I mean, the population kept increasing, but you didn't increase the number of medical colleges. And that's still the case that you're still not investing enough in your health uh, infrastructure or in your health system. If you did, then we wouldn't be in the position we are in. Today, I mean, for example, out of the 50 that we started last year, I think probably 30 or 35 are government medical colleges. Uh, So, I mean, we would think, yeah, that's a great, that's great news. We are finally investing, but, you know, most of these government colleges have nothing. If you go to those colleges, there is no faculty, Uh, there are, there is no infrastructure, nothing. It's just a college in name. So what you're finally doing is you're dragging down the government colleges to the level of the private uh, fly-by-night operators. So where at one point of time, we thought anybody who studied in a government college meant good quality doctor. Uh, We are going to bring down the standard of government colleges also to the level of, uh, you know, substandard private medical colleges. That's what is happening. Last year, we opened 50 medical colleges in one year. That's unheard of. That's a huge number in one year to jump that much in one year. That basically means you won't have enough faculty. And that's that was a COVID year. So I think people were actually the colleges were taking advantage of the fact that here was a year where there was less check. There was less regulation and basically got all of them, uh, you know, admitted. So um, that's one thing, and like I said, what is enough number of seats? Uh, what is it? One lakh, two lakh? Uh, but would you have the same quality, or would you be would you be in a situation what we had with engineering, where we have you know thousands of colleges opening across the country, churning out graduates, but barely like you know ten percent of them or a quarter of them are employable. Yeah. Now, in engineering, that would be fine because finally an engineer cannot work on his own. He has to be employed by a company. Somebody has to hire him. So the person who's hiring an engineer is actually looking at the credentials and checking the person. That's not the case for a doctor. A doctor can put a table outside his house and start practicing and start seeing patients. So if you have poor quality doctors, that's a public menace.
0: Reva, now we have this situation where, uh, yes, of course, there's the first challenge of evacuating, getting Indian students back to India safely from Ukraine. But then there's the other challenge that their education is disrupted midway. What do you think happens to them now? Is there any thinking going on about that?
1: Yes, there is a lot of thinking going on about that. One uh, proposal is that the final year should be allowed to do their uh, internship in uh, hospitals here so that they can finish their uh, medical education here, appear for the screening test um, and get qualified for the others the only way out seems to be that you know i mean you at least allow them to migrate because right now we have a rule against students migrating from one institution to another so if you start your medica- medical education in one institution nmc insists that you finish it in the same institution now with everything being disrupted in ukraine you surely can't expect them to go back to the same place so at least the least you can do is at- waive that requirement for these people so that they can look at other countries to go and finish uh, their MBBS. You are not being able to provide them the education here uh, because you are saying that your colleges are all, already full up. There is also uh, people pushing to say that you know, they should be accommodated in the colleges here, but that would be unfair if they are accommodated in the government colleges. Maybe the private colleges would be happy to take them, but I don't know if the students can afford the private colleges here. Isn't that the reason they left in the first place?
0: Today's episode is produced by Gerard Singh, Arun George, and Sunay Marathi. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at toipodcasts at timesinternet.in.